LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. Uh, and today I'm here, kind of here, with uh, Chandler Vinoy. Hey, hey, vir- virtual, virtually here. With virtually here. This is, uh, and and the uh, the third part of today's Troika is the one and only Levi Lusco, all the way from Montana, where they, yes, they still, too, have quarantine there, even though it is a, a beautiful, wide open place. Is that correct? Are you at home or are you at the church? So I'm in my church office. Um, we're in quarantine uh, in the offices. I have 97% of our staff working from home. Um, we have uh, a, kind of a private room where we come and go from without interacting with each other. And so it's just, it's wild times to be alive. Mm. Well, um, absolutely. So, uh, Levi has been on before, uh, episode 190, I'm not quite sure. 190 exact. Oh, there you go. Uh, he's the lead, lead pastor of Fresh Life Church, multi-site church in Montana, Utah, Oregon, Wyoming, and other places that God has just absolutely blessed at the bottom of the sixth day, uh, I think, in, in creation. I love, I love those places. Uh, and then uh, I know you're a speaker and you, you travel quite a bit, but... Um, at the moment, at the moment uh, my schedule is very open. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm lonely. <laughs> uh, and then you have uh, uh, several books, Through the Eyes of a Lion, which I just found out um, Lifeway is going to be doing a Bible study with. So go ahead, pick up that book, read it, and prepare yourself for the study that will, will, will come after um, we're able to get you back in town and film. And then, uh, also talk about your, your, your book that you have coming out in August, uh, take back your life. Yeah. So the theme of grief and finding power and pain was surfaced in uh, eyes of a lion. And that is going to be an incredible, I cannot wait. We've had requests ever since the book released for a, for a Bible study around it, just to take it deeper. So I'm excited about that. But that, that whole subject of how to find power in your pain came up in that book. And then my third book was called I declare war, which really is we're finding it's been surging in sales right now because it's all about self-management and emotional intelligence, which I think our we're discovering in quarantine, we don't have enough of, you know? Right. And so yeah. two, those two books, my publisher approached me about, um, about taking those two ideas and ma- basically making a Frankenstein that would allow people to deal with hard times and situations that call for emotional intelligence and to see those two come come together. So what we created was sort of a different kind of product. It's not a Bible study. It's not a book. It's we're, we're calling it an interactive journey because it's meant to be read through one day at a time for 40 days. Every day comes with prayers that you can pray, questions you can ask, blank spaces to doodle things. It's really well done. And, um, and so basically that comes out on, uh, in August and it's called take back your life, a 40 day journey that's interactive to thinking right. So you can live right. Very cool. And you know, uh, most of the pa- people that listen to this podcast are pastors and, and church leaders. Uh, how, how do you think this will strike them? Cause sometimes as, as leaders, we're not really into, uh, as, as much into self-evaluation as we should be. And so talk to us a little bit about that, um, before we dive in. 
Well, I mean, sadly, um, in Bible college, I didn't get trained in, in that at all. And, you know, I got taught a lot about, you know, hermeneutics and homiletics. And I, you know, they, I took a Greek a semester of Greek and, you know, we, we studied the Bible at, you know, ad nauseum. But what we didn't learn was how to interact with people, how to have difficult conversations and really how to relate to yourself. Um, but the peace that God wants to bring to our hearts has to be experienced on a personal level. And, and then we can, from there, interact with the people we lead. And I can't tell you, I mean, yesterday I got a, another sad phone call from somebody telling me someone in my life had, had just blown up his church and life and calling in the midst of this crisis because he couldn't lead teams well and was a savage leader and a tyrant and just these sort of things caught up with him. And, you know, it's just, it's so unnecessary. So my hope and prayer would be that we all in ministry and in leadership would realize that um, we're, we're only going to be effective in ministry long-term if we can uh, manage ourselves, manage our emotions and productively minister to people in a way that is life-giving. That's really good. Well, um, I, I do, I do want to move into our questions today, but before I do, I just want to say, I remember our last conversation quite well because it struck me, um, in an interesting way, similar to, uh, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go here. Like, so we're known for doing this thing called leadership pipeline. I'm a obsessive process driven, uh, guy. I had my Greek and my Hebrew, but you know, I came out of seminary really, uh, breathing and eating through as many business books as possible, both in seminary and after seminary. But, um, that whole concept of leadership pipeline is not what it seems at first glance. And, so being a systems guy, a process guy, um, I remember our conversation because I, having read, uh, I can't remember the first book, but having read one of your books, I was like, I did not expect to find a fellow pipeline process kind of guy. And I walked away from that interview going, man, this guy, this guy is uh, passionate about developing people. I don't care if you call it discipleship or development or what you call it. I think they're two sides of the same coin, but I remember thinking that. So I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to you today and I'm really excited to be talking to you in the crazy times in which we live, because I don't think church is going to look the same uh, six months to a year from now as it does Today. I don't think it can. And one of those ways I think it's going to shift is we are going to be forced to build leaders, not by them. Um, and, and just talk to me a little bit about, uh, I don't know, interact with me about <laughs> what I just said about you. And um, I, I don't know, but like, what are your thoughts on the subject right now? Yeah, gosh. Well, first of all, let me, let me re, um, uh, respond to what you said. I remember actually very, very well our conversation. I think about it regularly, um, which I can't say about every podcast and every interview I do. Uh, but I do remember just talking about pipeline and talking at the end about the, the plumbing and poetry aspects of leadership. Um, I, 
I should probably be giving you royalties, so I don't know if anything's come from it. <laughs> uh, that phrase you mentioned when you talked about the plumbing and poetry, so I went into a, kind of a deep dive and ended up finding the guy who originally used that phrase. I think he was from Harvard or, or Stanford, the guy who had done the Mark. study. Mark, was it, where is he from? Uh, it's Stanford. His name is James March, I believe. James March. No organization works if the toilets don't. Exactly. So yeah. that guy's quote, <laughs> I read his, his whole thing. I ended up writing a talk for our staff called Plumbing and Poetry that um, I gave to our team. Our lead team ended up taking the concept and turning what is now um, a weekly staff email that everyone on our staff gets with stories as well as anything HR, et cetera. And every single week, if you work at Fresh Life, you get an email from the lead team that that is called the Plumbing and Poetry Update. So, I mean, that, that conversation literally has had great uh, dividends uh, on, our, on our lives. So thank you very much for that. So, so here's how messed up I am. Uh, I couldn't, I can't have him on the podcast because, uh, I, I have actually spoken to him. Um, and he was 86 at that time. So he's, and he's still going now. So he's gotta be like 89 or something. Um, but man, just super sharp. Um, and one of the nuggets I remember taking away, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast, uh, before and properly attributed it to him was that he told me when I talked to him about leadership development, he said, uh, generally speaking, because I was talking to him about competency-based development and knowledge experience coaching and this frameworks, these frameworks that we had built out. Um, I said, hey, I, I really appreciate your work and you know, I want to I want to interact with you on on some of this. Uh, and you know, I told him who I was and this is for pastors, which he found fascinating. Um, cause he did not expect that at all. Um, well, the usual response to ministry is what do you do the rest of the week? Right. I mean, that's just, right. <laughs> but, I thought it was just Sunday. Yeah. But he told me, he said, um, in our age or modern age, he said, uh, we're still at a point where men are, um, are encouraged to, be more competent. I'm sorry, uh, confident than they are confident and women are more competent than they are confident. So generally speaking, he said, you know, consider that as you think about competency, don't just think about competency, think about confidence as well. Hmm. And so one of those, one of those things that I took away from, you know, that conversation is, is really when we're talking about training, when we're talking about development, the reality is the training, the, the, the interactive part of the training is only about 10 to 20% of what actually leads to competency. It is experience and coaching that leads to the rest. And so a, a little part of what you're doing when you're doing training is it's that first step into um, the not only competence, but confidence. So half of training, I would say, is, is the confidence that comes with it. And being sure that, you know, as you're training people to train others uh, and you're democratizing that development across the organization and helping them understand the fruit of a volunteer is another volunteer, fruit of a leader is another leader, is to also say, hey, here's some of those underlying things that we want to recognize as a church or as an organization. So mm -hmm. wherever you come uh, at it from, there's, we have a very wide listenership. I, of course, uh, am Baptist, so you 
well, that doesn't mean a lot either, does it? But um, as far as it means you probably don't drink. <laughs> as far as the uh, as far as the, the the conversation about you know women in ministry and uh, where and how they should serve and and all of that, I'm not dumb enough to get into right now. But I will say this: um, at all levels, uh, we need to be we need to be at least aware of things like that. Hey from a confidence and competence perspective, this is one of the underlying things that we care about as a church or an organization. Um, and so when you're coaching, here's the underlying foundation of that understand who people are, how they're wired. Um, so anyway, it's great. Yeah. So before we get into the five questions, I do want to leave, I would love for you to follow up on the, the question that Todd somewhat tossed to you um, with, with the church going through what it is in this COVID season, and especially those listening, they're trying to figure out what is church going to look like when this quarantine is lifted, when that is lifted. Um, and I'd love to just hear from you. I know you all have, you, you have multiple, multiple campuses, you're multi-site, you were streaming before any of this happened. Some churches are just stepping into that. What, what do you, what do you, what are you preparing for in that? Well, here's, what's really interesting is to see for our, in our, in our specific instance, I think God had us preparing for this for the last decade. I mean, quite honestly, we 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, I preached my first capture sermon, you know, so we planted the church, rural Montana, middle of nowhere, didn't have um, a plan or even a clue what was in front of us, but the most unlikely, you know, situation ended up unfolding where uh, proportionally a freakishly large church for the community in the sense that, you know, at our, at our, at our peak of uh, saturation, um, we had an Easter service where one out of uh, one out of 20 people that live in the Valley that I live in, were, were at our Easter service. You know, it's, it just, there's a hundred thousand people and we had 5,000 in, in one service. And so to think like, where do you go from there? Because you can't, you can't grow beyond uh, word of mouth at a certain point, people have either been invited, come to the church, don't want to go to the church or have a church they attend, you know, and, and you can't grow faster than there are people moving to the Valley. So we decided then to lean into the, the, the ability to send content to other cities, develop um, satellite churches. Uh, and we, we did not have the fiber optic ability to do live services to those locations. So we said, Hey, we'll just go into, you know, uh, the room when it's empty on a Thursday, record the message for a Sunday, they can download it and have access to it. The band's ready. Cause they can already test the file. They know exactly what to do. You, very few things can go wrong in the, because it's not live, uh, redundant projector projectors, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we started doing that years ago. And so honestly, what everyone out, all my friends that I talked to, you know, like, Oh man, we're having to go to an empty room, preach a message on Thursday. I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's crazy. I'm like, that's just business as usual for us. So, you know, that, that, doing that for years. Yeah. So we're, we're, the funny thing is we're kind of pivoting a little bit, like, because that's so normal for me, I'm now having fun because I don't have all these sites. I don't have no one, you know, I was in the grocery store and someone said, Oh, I, 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 I know you're, you're the pastor of that church uh, over there on, you know, I said, well, actually I'm the pastor of a website currently, you know what I'm saying? Uh, just kind of kidding around. 
but I said, we, our people are the church, I, but I was just referencing the fact that it, it's comical that I'm not the pastor of this building anymore. I mean, it's literally a, an internet. We're all televangelists at the, at the moment, but, um, Anyhow, so we're kind of doing a little bit the opposite. We're doing everything as live as can be live because I don't have the encumbrance of downloading files. So now we have one worship team, not 13, and I'm able to come in Sunday just with a skeleton video crew and actually lean into YouTube. I'm reading. I have an iPad up on the platform with me. I'm actually engaging in the chat while I'm preaching live, which is just so fun to have it just be ultra live. Uh, So that's kind of been our experience. And we felt very ready for this, as ready as you can be. Uh, that being said, in, in response to your question earlier about what's the church look like six months from now, I think that is completely the question. Uh, <laughs> there is not going back. You don't go back from this. This is World War II level. You know, this is Pearl Harbor level. I mean, it is. So there will not be a pre-coronavirus Christian church in this in this country or world. I don't think, for that matter. What what remains to be seen? Who returns? And what that is? I think it is it is very much what cement and I. I, for one, am excited about what that's going to look like uh, to see the complacency gone. I, I think post-Easter even, it's going to be an, a whole new ball game, And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to watch Jesus build his church. Amen. Man, it's a great perspective to have. Love it. So well, I know we, I know we would love to dive in even more <laughs> into all that, but we do have five leadership questions that we do want to discuss. So, We'll just go ahead and hop in here to the first one. And I know that this is especially with the season that we're in. um, You're probably learning from a lot of different people and trying to figure out what that all looks like. But who are you currently learning from? Yeah, anybody I can. Um, Joe Rogan, I think he's disrupted the whole world with a two and a half hour, sometimes three hour YouTube video with no production value. No, I mean, I saw Lance Armstrong on his show, get up and go take a leak on air. They never cut. You just see him walking down the hallway, shutting the bathroom door, coming back. And, and, and yet people's attention span in an era that supposedly is only 13 seconds long can sit for three hours. So I'm learning from him and what he's doing and how he's communicating, obviously very different values and very different um, faith and perspective. And yet he's communicating to the world in a very powerful way that I think if Paul the Apostle was here, he'd be referencing and talking about and and utilizing those kind of skills. I'm trying to learn from um, my mistakes. Always. I'm I'm grateful for uh, an abundance of material when it comes to that. And uh, yeah, I'm, right now I'm reading like never I'm on um, the internet as far as like YouTube talks, maybe a little bit less like why I'm not listening to a lot of sermons. Like I was at one point, I'm trying to get still more with actual books. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to learn from anybody I can. So you were on our unseen leadership podcast a few months ago, maybe even six months ago now. And speaking of what you were reading, uh, I think one, one thing that we connected on was David McCullough and you are currently reading the Brooklyn bridge, the building of the Brooklyn bridge. Do you remember reading that? Oh, do I remember reading that? <laughs> one of the greatest things I've ever been through was the reading of that book. Uh, I read since then the Panama canal. And, um, I'm also on a very deep dive of Eric Larson's books. I don't know if you've, have you read any hits? Yes. Oh my gosh. So the Bible, Absolutely. One of my favorite authors. 
the violin is blended, uh, dead wake. I just finished uh, garden of beasts and, um, his books, uh, the, the, the white devil in the white city, uh, just the way he writes historical fiction, almost historical truth, nonfiction, but as though it's reading fiction, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Devil in the white city is, is probably one of my favorites by him, but I, I was, I was going to say you spurred me to go read the Brooklyn bridge book and then watch a whole documentary on it. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, how did you love any story? Oh, it was great, man. Such a great recommendation. Did you watch the Ken Burns documentary on, uh, on Amazon prime on the building of the Brooklyn bridge? <laughs> That's exactly what I watched. Oh my God. I'm going to leave now guys. I'm out. <laughs> Let's get a milkshake later with two straws. <laughs> we can talk after about this. It's great. <laughs> can we talk about leadership pipeline again? Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I uh, love next thing you know, you'll, you'll start talking about sports. Uh, luckily, I don't have to, you know, uh, there are no sports right now. So, <laughs> so I'm, the worst, to avoid. I'm the worst guy to talk to about sports. I pulled up Judah Smith's Instagram live yesterday and him and Tim Tebow were on talking about drafts and picks and this. And I just, I turned it off. It's like, I'm like, I don't have anything to contribute. I don't know. I don't I care less about March Madness. I just feel like that is not my space, but you talk to me about the building of the Brooklyn bridge. I am, I'm there for it. <laughs> That's incredible. We can talk offline. I will say um, what I found interesting is my consumption of podcasts has actually gone down. Like there's some things that don't make sense to me and I can't remember who I was processing with the other day, but it's really odd that I'm consuming. I feel like I'm consuming less media and I don't even know if that makes sense. Uh, Masters of scale is is uh, something that everybody should be listening to right now um, with what we're going through, I think. Um, but, but yeah, how, how about you guys? Would you say you're listening to more or less or consuming, I don't know, more TV? Uh, my, my creative department told me that uh, our audio podcast has come down some, our video podcast has gone up, which I find interesting that perhaps – People who would be commuting, maybe having the audio on, are doing that less. But they're they're able able to sit and watch it on their Roku and and video more, which is I think very telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've definitely listened to less podcasts. Uh, don't have a commute. Don't I can't go to the gym. And those are the two places that I, I would yeah. listen to podcasts. So kind of taken away. Hey, before we before we leave the subject of the books, you have got to read the one, the Great the Panama Canal by McCullough, The Path Between the Seas. Okay, I'll I'll put it on my list. I'll probably end up reading it like in the next week because I love um, everything. I, I look forward to reading it. I was so okay. This is a really horrible thing. It's going to be very self revealing for me, and I'm, I'm ashamed to even tell you about it. Uh, I was so deep into that book, so deep into the Panama Canal. Like I, I'm actually really eager one day to, I'm planning a trip to go actually and go through the Panama Canal because of reading the book, uh, that I do a daily sauna, which we can talk about in a minute for the, uh, the question number three. Uh, and, uh, when I'm in the sauna, it's thinking time, it's breathing time, it's praying time. Um, but I was so deep into that book that I wanted to continue it in the sauna and I brought it, but I was like, how will I be able to turn pages? My hands will be sweaty. So I brought uh, latex gloves and I wore them to keep reading it and be able to turn the pages in the, in the sauna with, with uh, black latex gloves on. This is a true story. 
That was, that was, that was I'm so think, glad that I brought up these books just to hear that. That's, that's got to be on the back cover of the reprint of that book. That, that's, that's the best recommendation ever. Chris Tomlin apparently is a bigger McCullough fan than anybody I know, though. He um, told me, we, we got on this dive one night talking about it. And he said that he was so stirred by McCullough's works that he actually uh, called found his number somehow. God, I don't know how, but he's Chris Tomlin. So he's, you know, he can, he has his ways, found his home number, cold, called the house. David McCullough, uh, answered the phone and he just said, sir, I am a singer. I've read all your books. I just wanted to thank you. And I guess they had a polite chat and we got off the phone, but I just, I don't, I think there's something about being grounded to the history that McCullough writes about that all of us kind of, there's a resonant sympathy, you know, that hits us. So let's talk about that for a moment. I mean, we've done, uh, we are definitely book people, uh, on our podcast. Uh, I am, I like, I like historical fiction, uh, for sure, but I don't read enough of it. Um, so we've had, we've talked about biographies on the podcast. We've done several podcasts specifically on books, but from, your perspective from your church leader perspective, from a pastor perspective, how is that helpful to you and your, uh, your leadership of your, your church and team when you're reading a McCullough book? Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. The answer is yes. In every way. And here's why, uh, they've proven that, um, surgeons, for example, who only practice one discipline, will tend to uh, overprescribe it even when it's not necessary. But people who have a wider range than just one uh, particular discipline will at times um, be more likely and more prone to explore other options before jumping to just one surgery that they maybe are a special, uh, they specialize in. But, and so the, the point is that the, the, the old thinking of, of being a master of only one trade was the best way to succeed where now I think there's a great book out there called range that I, that I read a lot of this data in and in the book range, there's they're challenging the tiger woods notion that you only should do one thing, get your 10,000 hours in, and then that's that, but rather having other passions actually makes you better at whatever is your predominant occupation. So having a kite surfing hobby and being really good at that, uh, is going to help you in an, what you might say a non-connected area. So for me, no, of course, the Panama Canal has nothing to do with my leadership, but, but discovering that, and I talk about this in Take Back Your Life, my new book, that um, uh, when the French did not know that malaria was caused by mosquitoes, they misproper, they 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 they, they mistakenly uh, took a lot of um, uh, stupid uh, decisions that caused thousands upon thousands of deaths. And once they figured out that malaria wasn't being dredged up from the dirt and caused by bad air, they then were the, the Americans under Roosevelt, who you know completed the project later, were able to finish it right. So just thinking through, like, okay, it was it was the mosquitoes. It wasn't the dirt. It wasn't the air. So as a leader, no, that doesn't have a direct connection, but what am I doing that is effectively ignoring the real problem that's causing, you know, organizational waste. So I, I feel like even though it's not necessarily connected, there's such deep application. So uh, moving on to question two, what, what's your main point of emphasis with your team right now? I mean, we, we probably kind of know, but walk us through that. 
and, and our team, we're using the analogy of water, like a scuba diver would talk about visibility. And there's clear water, there's murky water, and there's dark water. For us, the dark water is the fact that we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know how, you know, whether, is it months? Is it clearly, we're not having Easter, you know, uh, in, in, in person gatherings, but is the 30 days going to come and go? And then, you know, we're going to be back to it. I, I doubt it. So the dark water is too many, uh, is too many questions that have no answers. So we're not going to live there. We're not going to live in the realm of, you know, oh, if we can just get back, it's going to be fine. Uh, we're assuming Maybe this is going to last six months. And if it were, if it were to last six months, how would we, how would we navigate? How would we manage? So that's the dark water is not where we're going to live. Um, the clear water for us, fortunately, is the fact that our mission hasn't changed since Jesus ascended to heaven. The last 2000 years, our mission is still preach the gospel and disciple, preach the gospel and disciple. And then baptize. Yes, that's part of it. We'll have to figure that out. And we'll have to mail out water spray bottles because that's an issue. But, um, <laughs> But that's clear. And it's actually when you when you live in the dark water, it's just you just beat your head against the wall. We're not going to figure that out. And maybe it's not even helpful. I read a book by um, someone who had gone through uh, prisoner of war in Vietnam. And he uh, talked about how the people who believed they were going to get home by Easter, then by Christmas, then by Mother's Day, then by Father's Day. Those people often died in the prisoner of war camps because they had a false hope, a naive hope. He said, but those who said, hey, we're going to get home eventually, doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter if it's Mother's Day or not. They didn't have a date set on their hope. Those are the people that did the best. And so we're telling our team, like, look, if, if this is forever fine, we still have clear water. And the clear water is disciple. The clear water is preach. The clear water is in the name of Jesus. All right. So the murky water is, the, is where we're going to choose to, to spend our time. And the murky water is how do we execute a clear vision in a dark world? And that's the murkiness. And so that's the adventure. That's where we can get creative. And we keep talking about how we're not going to live, live outside the box. A lot of people oh, think outside the box. No, we are living inside a box called quarantine, four walls of each person's house. What can we do creative inside the box? Uh, how can we Apollo 13 this situation? You got duct tape, you got a, you know, you know, filter the square, you got a round hole. All right, great. Let's, let's, let's use our ingenuity and resourcefulness. We have zoom, we have our Bibles, you know, we have our phones. All right, let's go. You know? And so that's, that's where we're trying to live. That's really good. I think for those listening who are trying to wrestle, I think that's a great framework to think in and stop living in the dark waters, trying to answer questions that are unanswerable and focus on, remember the clear water, but the murky water is trying to figure out what that is. So that's, that's helpful for me even. So I know that's helpful for those listening. Well, going to question three here, and I know, I know you touched on one thing that you have to do every single day, but what are, what are two to three things that you, you try to do every single day that benefit your leadership? Yes, that's great. Um, so let me sidebar this with um, a little bit about me. Productivity is my heroine. I get more of a high from a sense of a box checked than I do from virtually any other thing. So there is um, on the glass board in my office, a very rigid checkbox system right now. And right now I've gone into overdrive because we all have so much time on our hands. So every day uh, for me, uh, a great sense of productivity would come when, when in addition to my normal, you know, write the sermon, do the staff call, do the, you know, podcast interview, blah, 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 blah. blah. I also uh, have exercised, met with Jesus, 
done a dry sauna. So I have a dry sauna in my backyard that, uh, you know, 190 degrees Fahrenheit sitting in there sweating for 20 minutes. And then I have a cold plunge, which is a, a horse trough that in the summer I fill with 10 bags of ice in the winter. It's just, um, it's just cold because it's cold out. It was 30 degrees last night. So the water's probably 35 right now. And I did it this morning after I got out of the sauna, I'm super hot. I get in the cold plunge. I'll either sit for couple seconds just to get cold or up to three minutes. And that, that, that is every day. I love it. It's like, it's just absolutely wonderful. And then, uh, I try and do pleasure reading for 30 minutes a day. And then what I call business reading, which it would be anything from uh, a book on, um, how to tell a better story to some of the, you know, pipeline type stuff or that kind of, that kind of reading that's, that's maybe more just work reading. And then uh, I also of course want to spend time at dinner at a dinner table with my family without the phone and, and those sorts of things. That cold plunge sounds pretty rough. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> well, you could do it. And that's the beauty. It's forcing yourself to do what you don't want to do. And the entire time saying, I don't have to do everything I feel and I can make myself do what I don't want to do. Mm, I like that. That's good. I like that a lot. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to build a dress on in my backyard and do that, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. I get it. Uh, and I do have a book that you have to read. I've already talked about it the last couple of podcasts. So everybody knows if you haven't picked it up yet, um, maybe this will convince you because now it's like the third time. And that is, there's a book called a beautiful constraint, okay. um, that you have to pick up because you would, you would really like it. I'm in the middle of filming, uh, training around it. And it's basically just walking through the book and contextualizing it for churches. And I'm not sure when we're going to drop that because I actually have to finish it. Um, do you yeah. read Kindle or do you read paper? I read paper. That's like, cool. If you saw this thing right now, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, cause I started throwing post-it notes into, I usually just write in the front or the back of the book. And if it's really amazing, uh, I might, I might dog ear a place, but for the most part, my cliffs notes are in the front, and the back of the book. Um, but this book is incredible to give you frameworks so that you can say, okay, what is, what is our purpose? We really have one purpose as the church and, you know, all these other things that aren't essential, we can, you know, kind of kick to the side. Now we have to break our path dependence on the way that we're thinking and the way we've done church and the way that everybody's done church for a while now. Um, and how do we do that and, and propose the right questions and find the right strategies, uh, then to get to, to, to get to something that is not just neutral, but something that's actually better than what we had before. Like we can have breakthrough, we can have innovation and the time to do that is when you have great constraint. So I, I, uh, I like the way that you put things earlier when you're talking about what we're leading our staff through, um, is to say, Hey, we're going to forget, you know, all these other things. Uh, and we're really going to focus on absolutely what is essential. Let's define that and say, here are our constraints. <laughs> and you listed them off. You're like, we got our Bibles. We got zoom. We got, um, what can we do with that? And then what, what, whatever, uh, church essentials list that you use, whether it's, you know, a, a, a purpose driven kind of five things or a nine marks or something in between, it is figuring out how do we do that during this time? So that is a great, great tool. 
Well, I just bought it, so it'll be here whenever Amazon Prime slowly gets it to me. It's, that's one of the first four struggles right now, man. Amazon has betrayed us all. Well, yep. No I'll, more two days. I'll text you some amazing uh, makeshift whiteboard stuff um, at the end of this if you want it. Send it on, and any good recommendations will do the same. It's gold. All right. Um, I'm going to move us now to our, unless Chandler has another follow-up question from that about cold plunges or how to build a, a dry I'm good. Sauna. You're good. You're good. Did you build the dry sauna? That's what I want to know. Uh, it, I got it at Costco. It uh, was on a massive sale. It was a barrel sauna. If you look at them on Costco's website, when I got it, it was marked down crazy high. And since then I've been tracking it cause I, I've recommended it to several friends who have found them since then. And it's the price has jumped down and come up and down and come up, but it's cedar. It's a kit. You, you basically put them in slats. I had a couple guys help me with like, you, you have to bring an electrician to actually run the 220 to it from your, you know, breaker box. But, uh, other than that, it's really easy. I mean, you just put, literally put them in a, it's a, you make a barrel and then there's two benches that you sit on and it's, it's incredible. It's one of the best things I've ever done in the sense of my family, you turn it on, the kids want to be in there. You know, they, they're coming in and out of the hot tub and they just love it. And then you can't really be on your phone. I mean, it lasts about five minutes before it shuts off. So you're talking and that kind of is my answer to number four, right? I mean, I've tried to build my home to be a place of Selah for our family where we can breathe there, you know, and that's been at the forefront. I began five years ago, saving up for intentionally little projects to chip away at my home being a place where we can live in the Sabbath space and, and with a priority on things that don't involve screens. So, you know, trees, and a, a bigger deck and uh like the the hot tub and, and that kind of stuff and then i mean it, for me it was it was a priority as opposed to buying other things or whatever to have foosball or you know things that just we can we can be community around and that's been for me a really important thing well you're already answering question four and i love that you referenced uh that you were already answering question four I will say before I ask you question four, I, I think you have convinced me that, you know what, I may not be able to get a dry sauna, but I think I'm going to, after this is over, I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to take the door off the dryer and, and just turn it on, uh, close the laundry room door and, and turn it on. <laughs> for well, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. It's baby steps, really. <laughs> and I'll crawl in my deep freezer for a little bit. We'll see. Well, <laughs> the baby steps towards uh, cold plunging is just a cold finish on your shower. That's what it's uh, <laughs> so good. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong.
All right. So question four is what is leadership in your home? Uh, what's the leadership in your home look like? Well, oftentimes it's repentance. Um, I think my wife and I, uh, we, we've let, tried to lead through owning our mistakes to our kids. Uh, and this time it's been, you know, being vulnerable enough to admit that we're scared. We don't have answers. This has affected everybody. It's different. You know, my, my, uh, 14 year old is sad. She loves school. She loves school and she is socially a butterfly. And so for her, this has been very challenging. Uh, my nine and uh, eight year olds, they, they, they really don't, they don't really, they could care less, you know, COVID, not COVID. They, they, you know, they miss their friends some, but they, they're loving life. Uh, and then my, my two year old is uh, ruining my wife's life. Uh, he is, <laughs> he is amazing and a tornado. And just, uh, I mean, if, if I open my phone right now, I've got two text messages from my wife. Can you please come down and take him? Uh, and before that said, um, trying to stay sane here. And this is just because she's trying to homeschool the two, uh, the two girls with him basically doing his best to ruin everything. And that has been really hard. So we're just trying to give space for sanity. I take him on a walk every day, a long walk and try and get him to fall asleep and just try and do my best to tag team while still writing sermons and all the things. So uh, but, but leading from the front, being honest about mistakes, when I blow it, being quick to say that was not cool. I'm sorry. I was a bad example. And then, like I said a moment ago, trying to create sanctuary space in our house and to make sure the kids know that, you know, they're, they're, they're not uh, ever, their problems and flaws are not ever a problem to me because I'm a pastor. It's not, they're, they're not part of the brand of our Fresh Life Church. You know what I'm saying? Right. 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 That is good. Hey, and I, I thank you for your honesty. I think, I think what's great about that question in this moment is it would be easy to say, well, here, let me tell you what the ideal situation looks like. <laughs> but you're, you're like, here's what the real text say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really I mean, I think I'm just, I'm just, I, I think I've, I've, I think the brokenness in the church and so many families burning out and pastors burning out is because of the need, the perceived need for whatever reason to present some sort of varnished, you know, lacquered version of what it looks like. And it's messier than that. And I think when people hear that kind of stuff, they think, Oh man, your life looks so good on Instagram and it must, you must never have, you know, uh, issues and to go, Hey, look, we got brokenness. We see counselor. We need to, uh, we have people in our lives. We try and stay accountable to, but, um, it's hard and it's challenging, but it's worth it to fight for it. So, um, thank you for that. Yes. Uh, now I know that, uh, my wife Jenny does have a book coming out. Yeah. I, I want to know a little bit more about, um, that book coming out and what that's like, you know, for both of you to be, uh, writing at the same time. And if that's her first one or if she's written before. Yes. Thank you for asking that. Um, Jenny, uh, if she was here, she would tell you, it was a really bad idea for us to be uh, writing at the same time. So we made sure to stagger that. So when she was in her full blown writing mode for her first book, I was, I made sure to not be. And mine then came when her, her, her manuscript was turned in. 
having two authors in the house, I think would be probably a ground for divorce. It was uh, hard enough to have her writing or me writing, but to have them at the same time would be crazy. So, uh, during that season, I was with the kids a lot more in the evenings, early mornings. That's when she wrote, she made sure to get out of the house when she needed to. And, uh, she poured her heart and soul into a book called the fight to flourish. When I read it for the first time, it just absolutely broke me because it, it administered to me. It encouraged me. I'm so proud of her. It releases on Cinco de Mayo, uh, the, the 5th of May for any of my non, uh, Latin, uh, speaking, uh, or I guess non-Spanish speaking audience. She, she's amazing. And it's, it's a book that will be a blessing to people who have gone through grief, but honestly encouragement for any of us who ever feel like a failure. And that's where she kind of starts. Like she says in the book, I feel like I'm failing most of the time. And then what God spoke to her was, uh, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's in fact, uh, because we've been called to do things that are impossible for us. And that's why we're called to have faith. And the picture of someone who's flourishing is someone who's fighting like crazy. And that's, that's not evidence that you're failing. It's evidence that you're actually succeeding. Well, I think it's great. I think both the the books, the, the books that you both have authored, and especially the one that you're describing there, it comes out of an overflow of your own life. And once again, just appreciate you all sharing that with with others and taking the time <laughs> to stagger when you write them, but to still write them. Uh, so, so thank you for that. Well, let's get to the last question here. And with that, it's what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to lead? <clears throat> Yeah, that's great. When I planted the church, I was um, early 20s and I have now almost 14 years of being a senior pastor and before that being uh, in a youth ministry and creative teams and stuff like that. um, I think I would have started earlier putting systems in place. We talked about this last time to build the plumbing out of our organization. You know, my poetry comes naturally to me, plumbing, not so much. Um, even though I'm, I'm, I'm big on, uh, systems in my own life. I think because my role in the organization that I walked into it with in my head was more poetry than plumbing. Uh, I didn't focus as much on, you know, internships and colleges and systems to take our staff to the next level. And in recent years, the great passion of my life has been our staff advance. When we bring our staff out for several days of training, when we bring our our pastors all together, our worship leaders together, pouring into them. And I, I think I would have started all those things sooner. You know, I was so busy wanting to drive the devil out of Montana, which is what we always said that I, you know, I sort of uh, took for granted the, the call on my life to be intentional about helping other people succeed and empower. And, you know, the, even just little things like, you know, this last year, I haven't brought very many guest speakers out outside of our, you know, summer, we bring in authors to speak at our church in the summer on their books. But outside of that, I've been really leaning into our staff to develop and coach and give them the opportunity to, you know, get reps in. And that's been just a delight, like to watch one of our campus pastors just crush a weekend. Uh, it's been just so much fun. And that's really kind of been my newest revelation that I wish I had, you know, come into it sooner with. 
Well, Levi, hearing that answer, our team <laughs> loves leadership development and systems and processes. And I know in the last you know, episode 190, when we had you on and in this one, we've talked a lot about it. So uh, we, we love hearing your passion for that and even being able to turn back and develop those who are on your staff. So really, really love the, the focus that you have there. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast for the second time and talking about David McCullough and talking about poetry and plumbing. It's been, it's been a blast. And we, we hope that you and your family are staying safe and in finding ways to, uh, to get through this quarantine and love hearing how you're continuing to minister throughout it all. So those thanks for joining us again. Hey, thank you for having me. You guys are amazing and inspiring. So uh, look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening and join us next time.